0: This is episode number 181 of the Rising Man podcast with Dr. Brian Paris. Your body has a mind of its own. What's up, Rising Man fam? Thank you for joining me today and tuning in. Jetty Azuma here, checking back in behind the mic. Today, I've got a very, very special guest and a very special new feature that we're launching here on the podcast, so stay tuned for that. Before I jump into it, I wanna remind you guys to go and check out our 12-week online Ignite course. This is the stuff, guys, I'm telling you right now. Whether you've been involved in men's work for a long time, where you're looking for something new and different to challenge yourself and take a deeper look into who you are and what you're about, Ignite is the course for you. I'm telling you guys, i put together some of the greatest experiences that I've had in my life, some of the greatest teachings and lessons I've extrapolated from teachers of all different backgrounds, all different shapes and sizes, and basically just squished into 12 weeks of Ignite. It's super dope. The guys who've gone through the program have gotten so much value from it already. And I really just want every man to be able to go through these processes and have the same insights that I had by doing the same work over the course of five years. You get to do it in 12 weeks. So go to risingman.org Ignite. Get yourself signed up today. Look forward to having you in there and having these deeper conversations with you in our Ignite community. All right, so a new installment of our podcast. We're going to start featuring men from within the Rising Man community because at this point, we have men all over the world who've been listening to the podcast, who've been part of our fire circles, who've been stepping up into Inferno, Compass, you name it. Who are incredible men in their own right and it's about time that we start featuring the men that we have in our community already. So leading us off is Dr. Brian Paris. He is one of the core members of our Rising Man community. He's a licensed chiropractor, business owner and operator and embodied leadership extraordinaire. He's a master when it comes to understanding the body, why it moves and what moves it. For Brian, it all comes down to growth, from business to relationships, to parenting and self-care. Brian believes that there are only lessons to learn. And if we're not learning and growing, then we're dying. When he's not helping healthcare professionals build efficient businesses, Brian is a devoted father and valued member of the Rising Man family. In this episode, Brian and I dissected the source of emotions for men and how we can become more embodied. First, we touched on emotions in the life of a man, what we've learned about having emotions and how to handle them. Brian introduced the polyvagal theory to us and explained the intelligence our body has before the brain ever gets involved. We also took some time to discuss the value of tribe and how Brian has grown by being a part of the Rising Man movement. Without further ado, featuring Dr. Brian Paris. All right, rising man family. I have a very special man joining me here today, coming in all the way from Rockville, Maryland. Dr. Brian Paris in the building. How are you today, man? I am well, bro. Good to see you. I'm happy to have you on here, man. So, just so everybody knows, this is not your ordinary interview. You know, Brian. Brian's a brother of mine. We've gotten really, really close over the past year. And this is actually the first feature we're going to have of something new that we're going to start doing here on the podcast is featuring some of the amazing men from within our Rising Man community. I'm not going to go too deep into this, but just the fact that we have a strong foundation of really amazing men, we thought, hey, what better way than to capture some of the wisdom we already have from within. So thanks for being the first Rising Man feature from our community, man. It's a very pivotal milestone moment here.
1: I'm humbled, grateful, and I feel like it's one of the experiences that we've gone through because I'm jumping first, not from ego, but just to get that shit out of the way. So I appreciate it. (laughs) I'm glad to go first.
0: Heck yeah, man. So, of course, you're such a wellspring of wisdom and information from your background in chiropractics and the work you've been doing in personal leadership and embodied leadership specifically. You've been an athlete for many years. You've gone through a ton of experiences in your personal life with marriage and divorce and kids. So we're going to capture as much as we can of that today. But before we do, before we go into all the juicy parts, man, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody, and that's what does it mean to be a man?
1: What it means to be a man is to live with an open heart and presence and stillness and to feel what's inside feel your feelings no matter what's coming down no matter how hard it rains and thunders and shit storms come at you it's like can you stay open with love
0: and presence now i know one of the four pillars in your work is emotions Mm -hmm. so what role do emotions have in a man's life in your opinion well
1: I have to go back into history a little bit because i grew up my family of origin i'm the youngest of three brothers by a significant amount and my family of origin really was not a feeling family you know we did we do we're doing all three of us are doctors and i played that role super duper well and i just always in my life i was more sensitive than most men that i knew i just had some kind of whether it was crying or hyperactivity, ADD, you know, and, and then also just my feelings like in romance and things like that. I would fall hard for women and I never knew how to manage what the hell was going on inside. I didn't know. I didn't have a vocabulary, nor did I have an embodied experience of feeling my feelings or even a role model in that world. And it wasn't until I woke up and I would say probably about 35, I'm 46 now, where I looked left and I was like, I don't want to be in this marriage. I don't know where the hell I am. I don't like where I'm at. So I got to figure it out. So emotional awareness, I don't necessarily think it's emotional intelligence, but emotional awareness and noticing what is going on inside helps me connect to my truth. And that's what I help others do. Emotions are a vehicle to connect to what's true inside.
0: Yeah, maybe it's something out there in the water on the East Coast. That's very reflective of my experience. <laughs> I remember just falling really hard in relationships, like you said, with girls and with women. I remember feeling a lot of things. And then at some point I learned that it just wasn't okay for me to feel those things. There's yeah. the familiar story around being a bitch or you know, being a pussy or any of those things that just didn't match with the culture that I was being raised in. And so I had to learn how to do it differently. I'm wondering what that was like for you, especially knowing that you're also a generation previous to me. I'm sure those messages were even louder.
1: And even louder in sports, because I know you're an athlete and I was an athlete as well. And it's runs rampant through like, I now kind of like unpack it into the sports psychology realm. Like I see some of these coaches even today, like just ripping the shit out of these young boys and not giving them the ability to learn and grow and make mistakes. So they're playing out of fear. You play out of fear and not play out of reckless abandon maybe not reckless abandon. If you don't play like your heart out and you're playing from this fearful spot, that's worse than just making mistakes at hundred miles an hour. I'd much rather see that on the athletic field, but growing up. And that was really the question, right? Is like, what is it? What was it like? I mean, I was in the same world where it was not okay to feel not okay to cry, but it's still there, man. I don't think it's just on the East. Maybe it is because I'm only on the East Coast, but (laughs) it seems like my brothers and sisters from the West are a little more open to like feeling and we're doing the training to learn how to get in touch with that. But it's been a journey and a challenge to get through that. And I think therapy, psychotherapy and certain psychotherapies have been really helpful because they've given me vocabulary. And I took my doctor brain from what I learned in like biomechanics and anatomy and adjusting and things like that and i've now applied it to psychotherapy and neuroscience and that's Mm -hmm. more of just where i'm going in that direction because i really appreciate the relational field created between a doctor patient or first oneself doctor patient and then that expanded view of what a culture looks like like how do you create flow and relationship within an entire culture
0: Well, yeah, let's pick it apart a little bit more. And and of course, it's not just an an East Coast occurrence, right? I mean, maybe it's just a
1: Jersey thing, dude. I don't know. It might be just Jersey.
0: (laughs) Well, I do believe that it's particularly strong out there. Just that blue collar mentality. I think many people on the East Coast come from European immigrant families who migrated at a specific time, overcoming specific hardships in a specific way that's different than perhaps other people who live in other parts of the country and the world. But either way, I think that we could paint a broad stroke and say that there's been many generations that have changed the perspective of having emotions and experiencing emotions as a man ought to look like. Yeah. And so walking back from that, obviously there's there's a couple of layers in this in which I think you are have a really valuable perspective. There's the athletics, right? Just the the separation of church and state, so to speak. Like, hey, you get on the field and no emotions, right? You're a brick wall. You're a Spartan warrior, which I think is also a little bit of a misnomer because there's plenty of emotions yeah. on, on the battlefield. Definitely. Right? So that's for one, but then also as a chiropractor, right? As a Western science, right? Just the field of Western science, how removed and detached we are from the emotional experience of a human being. Almost completely disregarded. I mean, I finished school in 2010. And even then, man, I think we had like a a one day, half a day seminar that talked anything like about psychology. Yeah. Here we were expected to treat people through traumatic injuries and athletes who their career was destroyed by an injury or an accident that they had and pretend that there's no emotions involved in that, (laughs) you know,
1: I treated people the same way I knew how to occur. Right. So I wasn't I was a a shell a meat suit. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm really good Mm -hmm. at treating the meat suit, but I was ignoring what was going on inside, which made sense why my relationships were really shallow. Because I wanted so bad to have that depth. And I just, I couldn't figure out how to get there. Mm. So like I would make these really good, because I'm just personable anyway. And I have these great connections with patients, but the relationships just lacked that depth. And I do feel that Western medicine, even now I think they're starting, some people that I'm talking to, younger practitioners are starting to pay attention to that emotional component, but there has to be a blend. Right. Like, cause I mean, we live in gravity. We have a meat suit. We we want that to function and structure well. And also we have to take into account what a physical trauma plays on the nervous system and how we relate to ourselves and others and because of those traumas. And if we don't address them, emotional and physical traumas in that way, then we're, it's just treating meat and you're not getting anywhere.
0: So let's talk about trauma for a second. Let's talk about the trauma of somebody being in an accident, let's say a car accident, right? Because I'm sure you've probably seen thousands of those thousands. In, in and out yeah. your doors, right? So just uh, let's talk about, if, maybe if there's an example that comes to your mind of somebody who was in a really significant accident, whether or not there was fatalities involved or just like a, like a severe injury that somebody had to navigate. I'm interested in the relationship with pain and how you recognize to address trauma as something more than just a physical experience.
1: What's been really helpful for me in that is, like I said, I'm kind of a nerd with the neuroscience and stuff. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. ever heard of the polyvagal
0: theory. No.
1: Okay. So polyvagal theory is based on the vagus nerve, right? So the vagus Mm -hmm. nerve is cranial nerve 10, if you remember from your studies, right? It comes out of the bottom of the skull and attaches to every organ in the body. So it has, I don't know what the amount is, but a significant more afferent, meaning sensory information from the body back towards the brain versus going forward. So it's not really a motor nerve. It's not making these organs function. It's getting feedback. So Chinese medicine, which is way older than Western medicine, says that the emotions, they happen in the organs. We feel like emotions are like either in our heart or, well, initially in our brain, like they're definitely not, that's like where they end up in the fatty tissue in your brain, right? Through some of those neurochemical signals. But if you really start to look at the energetics, like that's, that's where this stuff is all coming from. So when you look at the polyvagal theory, it breaks the vagus nerve into the sympathetic portion, which is like your typical fight or flight. The dorsal vagal portion, which is the backside of it, which puts you into this freeze, which freeze is rudimentary to even fight or flight. So you'll see animals that'll just whoop, like freeze up, like the turtle pokes his head in, right? Not like ah. There are two different aspects, and then your ventral vagal state is more of your parasympathetic, where you're in the ability to befriend the nervous system and mm-hmm. put it in a more calming perspective. So pain itself, in my work, and also I'll give credit to my business partner, who is a um, Andy Block is his name, and he's an acupuncturist and a, and a physical therapist. He helped pull me out of this structural type of world and taught me these aspects of really looking at how important it is to feel felt from an emotional perspective to be seen and understood that all relates to pain like placebo effect is the most studied drug on the planet more than anything mm-hmm. and it works you know we use a lot of kinesiotaping and people are like how the hell does it work and it's like i could go into all the science i'm like dude it works with placebo and it fucking works because it, and, and if that's if that's what it is if i just got to give you a hug so that you can downregulate and get into that ventral vagal state, that healing, befriending type state, that's when pain doesn't become, because it can become this story. Now, yes, you have all these traumas. You can damage tissue. You can tear tissue. You can break things, and those have to be addressed, not but, and not replace one or the other, but, and you have to look at that whole aspect of where pain, just like we went through, we've gone through experiences where pain is an emotion, and we learn to just befriend that emotion.
0: I want to spotlight something for a second because you just got me thinking about the placebo effect. I just had all of these memories circulate through my head about school and research articles, just reading a ton of these things and things being chalked up to inexplicable circumstances or inexplicable factors that ultimately gets chalked up to, well, since we can't prove it scientifically, since there's not enough evidence to ground that, we're just going to call it something placebo, something that we can't explain. When you actually pour a little bit deeper into this, you can't measure the impact of a hug. Right? right. I remember very clearly, there was a couple times in my career, more than a couple, where I had a 45 minute session with somebody. This is back when I was a physical therapist. And instead of making them do a bunch of exercises and stretches and doing a whole bunch of other therapeutic interventions, and I put that in quotes, I would sit there and have my hand on their head or just holding their neck and supporting their head while they told me what was going on in their life and yeah. just crying. And fortunately, I landed in an amazing clinic. You know, shout out to Ohm Physical Therapy down in Santa Barbara, which they're not currently operating anymore. But the woman, Dara Solanke, she was my manager at the time and she really gave me permission to treat intuitively. That's awesome. You know, obviously we had to do the, you know, writing it up so that we could get reimbursed through insurances and all stuff. But she allowed me and she really encouraged me to treat intuitively and people got better this way. But because at that point in my career, this is like seven years into my physical therapy practice, I couldn't ignore this whole other part of of a person beyond, like you said, just the meat suit, just the muscles and tendons and tissues. I couldn't ignore it anymore. In fact, honestly, I couldn't even ignore it when I first got out of school. I just was so uncomfortable and so afraid that if I started doing stuff like that, I'd get fired (laughs) or sued or, or something, right? Reprimanded. But I mean, that's exactly what was going on is there was so much In essence,
1: you were like, you're the true aspect of like holding space for somebody so that yeah. they can heal themselves emotionally. Yeah. And fit, like, there is no separation. All this occurs together. The nervous system is inside the meat suit and it interacts with it. And then right. there's an aspect of energy in the soul that we're not going to get into that today. But I mean, it's like you're touching somebody's heart and their soul when you're holding space for them that way. It's
0: beautiful. Absolutely. And just going back to the inexplicable stuff, I think there's too much of a heavy reliance on science and trying to explain things logically. I mean, you were talking about placebo effect and you were talking about polyvagal theory, and it got me thinking about the afferent information going up from my organs and into my brain. I've talked about it here on the podcast. I've been talking about it a lot on social media. You also know that we recently lost somebody very close to us in our community. And in the moment, I remember the moment that I heard the information for the first time, that it literally traveled as wind vibrating through my cell phone into my ear of the news that he had died and receiving it in my brain. And then the first sensation I remember feeling was my heart start to beat really fast. And I could feel the release of adrenaline. Like my, my body started to tingle and I could feel everything like in my thoracic area from the neck down to my belly button was just squirming and like, tensing and tightening and doing all of these weird things and my brain was struggling to comprehend it. So the image that just comes up in my mind is somebody who speaks a foreign language running up to you in the street and starting to scream and say, ah, something's wrong, but they're saying it in their language. You can't understand what's going on. You're like, wait, 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 wait tell, tell me what, what's going on. How can I help you? What? trying to interpret what the message is. And you can feel that this person is in distress you know yes. that something's not right, but you can't respond to it. That was like what was happening in my body, in my organs and, and the rest of everything from the neck down. And my brain couldn't make sense of it. It took me almost two hours to rationalize and justify in my brain and, and come to terms with, oh, this person that I love has died. I'm never going to talk to him again. I'm never mm-hmm. going to see him alive and animated again. And so I just I spotlight that because I think it really highlights the disconnect that we can have between our body and our brains because of being so cognitively conditioned throughout our yes. lives to think logically, yeah. to try and piece things together that aren't necessarily logical. Emotions are not necessarily logical. And to try and make sense of them, not only would it take a long time, but I don't know if we ever can really understand them on a cognitive level.
1: I think that's part of our journey is as wounded healers, which you are, or shamans in training, right? You know, that's like forever. It's how do you how do we use those gifts that our body is giving us? You know, and this is one of the first, like, which you shared with me. It's one of the only experiences in your adult life where someone close to you, very close, has died. And it's, but now the gifts and I'm sharing with the Rising Man family that you shared with me, like what's opened for you with grief. And we were even saying that, We always categorize these emotions like grief or anger or sadness as negative. They're not negative or positive. They're just emotions. Mm. Our reaction to them really is what's going to determine whether they have an impact on our life, a negative or positive impact in our life. And you as an embodied leader are taking it in that direction. So thank you.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate the reflection. And like I said to you before, I feel like I'm just a baby learning how to walk through this stuff and to make it an even more relevant conversation for everybody else that that's really the journey that we're all on. Like you just said, we're all relearning how to be in full relationship with our bodies because so much of the information that we have to process, we're so cognitively oriented. Even um, there's a book called Sapiens. I've mentioned it here on the show many times before, but just the evolution of brain size and brain functionality and the acceleration of that evolution over the past you know, a couple of thousand years is just tremendous. When you really look at how much more we're using our brains, which just by default, you'd assume that we're using less of the other sensory regions of our body. And I think we see that a lot today. You you look at the ordinary human today, they don't look prepared to go and take down a saber tooth tiger, right? They're not connected to the ground. They're not connected to the earth. They don't know where to go find food and water if it wasn't at the supermarket. Yeah. When we talked about
1: innervation and organs and things like that there's only one organ that we have that we have conscious control of which one is that let's say below the
0: neck below the neck okay uh lungs we can choose when to breathe
1: yeah so we were talking about this rudimentary aspect of like being a baby right so when you have children when they were really little and you're watching them in the crib were they breathing up under their lungs Or are they breathing below their diaphragm into their belly?
0: Into their belly. Yeah, 100%. Definitely.
1: Belly, 100%. Right. So now, so this is part of that way to get us into that parasympathetic state. So if you're not addressing breath, because like if you sit in meditation, biology precedes psychology. Right. So if I sit in meditation, but I'm breathing. My brain's going to say, oh shit, this guy's got to run. We got to put more blood in his muscles and move, open the eyeballs versus and slowing down. And if you're exhaling longer than you're inhaling, you're getting into that parasympathetic state even more. So just breathe in your belly, man.
0: Say a little bit more about that. I know we've had, we've had people come on here, talk about the value and benefits of breath work and there's holotropic breath. Yeah all types of breath activities, just from the lens of a chiropractor, as simply as you could share it, what do we gain by focusing our breath and adjusting our physiology through our breath?
1: What's interesting now is that I use, because I don't treat anymore, really. It's not even, it's occasional what I do. And like, I'll, I'll treat obviously when, you know, when we're away and retreats and things like that, but that's more where I'm doing my work. Now it's more cultural based and, you know, breathing energy and fire into my practice and my other businesses. But Now, in the direction that I'm going in in training and leadership, I'm helping people get into parasympathetic states. So no matter what breath work you're doing, I believe it's going to be, and I'm basing this on research as well, that, that it's more powerful to breathe into the belly because you're getting yourself into that healing and befriending state versus what your body will take as a message of fight or flight when you're breathing up into the upper area of your lungs.
0: So that's great. I love that element. I know I've I've certainly experienced the benefits of breath work and learning how to adjust my physiology through my breath. I, I never thought about it that way. I never heard anybody say that that's really the only organ that we have that we have any voluntary control over, which is really fascinating, but can have so much influence over our bodies, right? As far as things that we can go without,
1: you can't. <laughs> that's that's the one thing. Yeah. we No, we can go in the desert and go without food or water for a period of time. But if you stop breathing, like no bueno, that's it. It's the first thing that brings you into life and the last thing that takes you away. Well, at least this life that we know of. And I think anyone out there who's in the world and work of pain, and we all experience physical pain and emotional pain. So even that emotional pain, like how do you change your physiological state? It's all through breath, right? I could get up and dance and move around, right? That- Boom, like I can get that physiological state. That'll change. You know, when we get caught up in our head, we know that we're getting spun up in these things. So again, like getting back into that belly, laying down, slowing down, and really aim to expand the belly with breath.
0: Let's migrate away from breath for a second. So, so going a little bit more into your personal journey, you know, I want to make sure we capture some of what. Led you to Rising Man? Just give us a give us a brief description of of where you were at in your life. What were you looking for when you came to our community?
1: Well, I got involved in I would say yogic sexuality work and polarity work through different teachers, and I really got into that work because you know I'd gone through a divorce. I'd been through so much with the divorce, trying to figure like navigate how to be a single father, and also am I going to have another relationship in my life? What the hell does that look like? And then I, I did have a relationship and I got caught up in a space where like, I wasn't, it didn't get to the depth that I wanted it to. My marriage wasn't there. The next relationship wasn't there. And then at that point she had said something once. She was like, you can't feel me. And I was like, shit, I can't even feel myself. I don't know how to feel another human being. Like yeah. <laughs> how the hell do I navigate that? So it got me on this path. To studying tantra, studying yogic sexuality, masculine-feminine energy dynamics, and then through different channels of Instagram, it led me to Rising Man. I was about to go into an embodied leadership program, different than yours, different than Dojo, and it got canceled because of COVID. And Compass, I was like, and my my business partner who was also a mentor had gone through a rite of passage a couple of years earlier with your mentor, and I didn't know that until after mine, and. I found compass and what compass provided for me was not only like a an even deeper dive into men's work and what it was like to be in space with men and hold space for a man and be held in that intimate space to be able to share the same shit that everybody's going through in my group in compass we had you know from like a 19 year old all the way to like high fifties. Right. So like where we had this range, business owners, non-business, like, so it was really just an incredible experience to then also be able to be alone and face everything on the inside, literal and metaphorical shadows, right? If you don't face your shadows out there, you're going to singe. So, (laughs) so it was a benefit of, of like really experiencing my shadows, like befriending my shadows and, and all sides of who I was. And it's brought me to just this larger aspect of wanting to help other men and work with men like you and like really put this mission to just like expand it, like synapse this mofo out.
0: Yeah. I want to zero in on one thing that you you said that really, it's really become aware to me that this is actually a, a huge strength of our community huge strength of our community is the diversity that we have just in your group alone, right? We had two guys in their fifties, you know, another guy in his late forties. And then we had guys as young as, you know, early twenties and everywhere in between at different stages of life, different, you know, divorces, children, single, trying to figure out what they're doing in the world, the whole soup of it, right? Everybody mixed up together. And yet the great equalizer of going out and fasting for four days and four nights of, going out and having that experience, all of a sudden now you take men who ordinarily out in the world wouldn't know each other, wouldn't connect with each other, wouldn't have something to talk about. But now you have this shared experience that you all went out into the desert and fasted for four days. And, and now even just beyond the group that you fasted with, all the other men in our community that you have that connection with, it creates that equalizing force that can pull us together despite all the ways in which we might think that we're different.
1: It's really something that's missing in today's society because i grew up i got raised jewish and my bar mitzvah was definitely not a rite of passage it was it was somebody else's rite of passage but it wasn't like an internal rite of passage like you know i have a 15 year old son now and and he's gonna meet uncle sean and uncle rowan and uncle Jetty and uncle phil when he goes through the desert if he decides but i'm hoping that he will go and when he's 18 and you know and be able to to walk through the threshold and, and back on his own, but that's, it is something that really bonds us in a way that, I mean, it was indigenous, it's been going on for centuries and it's like, it just really represents how we've got above above and stuck into our heads. This calling to become more a more embodied man and more embodied leader, it's just a beautiful path.
0: Yes, man, and before we started recording, you and I were talking casually about the value of tribe. There's that great book that that you just finished reading that I've read before uh, called Tribe by Sebastian Younger, and I just wanted to share that for a moment, just the value of that because there's so many great messages within that book. I recommend anybody go ahead and read it. I'm wondering what are your some of your big takeaways, having been someone who came from a place where maybe you weren't getting the values or benefit of a tribe in that way.
1: It was a super powerful book. One uh, for those of you if you don't want to read it, it's a two-hour lesson and it's very impactful. So just don't let that be an excuse for you guys, guys and gals. I found it so interesting that as as you've got this European culture coming in and basically raping and pillaging a beautiful existence of a culture, and and, and he really highlights the interconnectedness of the men and women of these tribes and, and the interconnectedness of them to Mother Earth, Father Sky, all of this together, where there were Thousands of European men who were either captured or who decided to leave this European society and join the tribes, American Indian tribes. And it didn't happen the other way around. No Native Americans. And there were instances they like took them out and then they like ran back as soon as possible because it's biological, it's in our DNA. And it's not until the last couple thousand years that I would say we've become more diseased in this lack of tribe. But it's the impact is seen. Look at the levels of pain, the levels of suicide in men, the level of war and divisiveness in politics, and like, you know, nobody's really winning. I just watched that movie Sea Spiracy. Holy shit.
0: I don't know about that. Oh one. I'm my god, about it's that. on
1: Netflix, but it's horrible what's happening in the fishing industry. It's like it expands not just from what you're doing to the ocean, but like slavery and like almost mafia
0: related activities. And it's all based on money. It's sad. That's really the biggest message I take away from that book we mentioned is just what it looks like for people to band together around this common purpose of surviving and navigating this planet and life itself. Yep. And one of the other things that he says in that book that just really screamed at me was I like double dog-eared it, you know, when you fold down a, the page and I like did a double one because nice. like, this is one I want to go back to. <laughs> he talks about when he was, uh, I believe it was an adolescent, and he said he used to fantasize about chaos and disorder, basically social breakdown and Armageddon types of events, not because he was some sort of sociopath or he wanted people to suffer, but he wanted that experience instinctually of needing to band together, yeah. that so few of us get to experience because life is all but guaranteed to us the way we live our lives. We expect that life is gonna go on and there's gonna be food at the grocery store, the sun's gonna rise tomorrow and water's gonna come out of my faucet. But when we don't have those experiences, he uses references like war-torn countries. He, I think he spent some time in Sarajevo during the Bosnian revolutions and all that stuff that was going on over there. And people in just a couple decades ago who were being massacred, whose lives were being stripped from them, they had to band together. And things that he witnessed and observed that were different about people who were having that experience of life. And I remember feeling that myself when I was a teenager. Like, man, is this really what community has to offer? Is this really what this experience of life is all about? Because it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right to just be, you know, talking with people on a superficial level. I want to feel, I want to, I want to connect with people and know what that's like. I want to, I want to go to battle together. I don't want to hurt people, but I want to go to symbolic and metaphorical battle together because I know there's like instinctually something in my DNA that knows that there is more to share in life with other people that I hadn't experienced up to that point.
1: I don't know if it's just a, this is a bumper sticker, but how about just some more hugs too?
0: Yeah. <laughs> connection, yeah. simple yes. connection. Yeah. Yeah. So just speaking about that, what has your, been your experience since, you know, you've, you've been part of the Rising Man community for just about a year now. What has been your experience since being in our community relative to what was available to you before?
1: It's really given me a space to express what's inside and learn how to gracefully communicate it. You know, from being in a fire circle with men, being in Dojo, also being in Inferno, being in Compass. I've done a lot of Rising Man work so far, and it just kept all rolling, and we've stayed together, a lot of us as a, as a team, and it's been ongoing. It's such an awesome experience to have someone that you trust, a man that you trust, to be a mirror for you, to be triggered, to be able to gracefully Communicate that you're being triggered and then work through those things on a small level or on a large level. I've had those conversations with you about leadership and even other brothers in this organization. So it's been extremely powerful and it's translated to my ability to be a better leader in business and a better parent and a better romantic partner, like really being able to hold space and be still and calm in this masculine male
0: body of mine. That's actually where I wanted to go next. Maybe you could just be a little more specific if there's some examples of how have you taken what you've gotten from your experiences here and taken them out into your life? How have you leveraged that successfully? Maybe even connecting with other people who don't have the same access to this community in these ways.
1: Even in like the way that I hold meetings now, we had a meeting today where we're, we're losing some employees in a division and you know we're down a man, woman, we're down a role. And in the past, I would have just read that we created a document we called it, What's Next? Right? Because when a patient goes from the front door to the back door, and then all the way back to the front door, we always want to ask, not them, as a team, what's next for this person? Because I have three divisions in my office. People are seeing a medical division, they're seeing physical therapy, they're seeing chiropractic, they're doing a lot of things. And to have a wow experience, they need to be shepherded through this experience. This business doesn't lend itself to having one person be escorted through the whole business. It just doesn't work that way, right? It's the the economies of scale don't work. But so each person is going to have to step in a little bit more and chip in a little bit more. And the way I used to lead was like, oh, you can't make fucking mistakes. And now I just sat back and I was like, look, we're all going to make mistakes. And I know no one in this room has malintent. Everybody wants a patient to have a great experience. You want to have fun. You want to enjoy where you come to work. You want to like help people grow and grow yourself. So let's just be there for each other. And I went more in depth. And then there was another space where we were started to read this document. And my, my chief operating officer who I've like expressed all of these things that I've learned to her, she just starts reading the document. And I was like, wait, wait, let's go back. Because if each person does not embody this document and put themselves through an experience, they're never going to have the experience until it happens. And then they're really fucked. So the way to practice is to embody it. And so we started calling on each individual, like answer. Maybe teachers learn this. I don't know if they do. But the way that I've been studying leadership through the rising man lens is to hold space and be that container, you know, and then also understand that there's a time for me to flow and there's a time for me to be still. And you can take that to masculine and feminine dynamics, wh- wh- whichever way you want to take it. But it's really been a lesson for me to not lead as a dictator, but to like really lead from a grounded embodied space where creating other leaders is about just letting it flow and having a meticulous container around that. So
0: yeah, man, I, it makes me think of back when they first start having you give speeches and public speaking in front of your class in school everyone is trying to memorize what they're going to say yeah. and, and just rehearse it like it's a script and how the parallel between that and being a dictator or being a, a micromanager in that way that you get locked into a plan or a set way of the, this is how it needs to be. This is what it needs to look like. And then trying to move away from that into more of this listening capacity, leadership from the space of what's happening, what's going on in the room right now. Cause the script is not going to work in this moment the way I would normally approach this problem or this issue isn't going to work right now in this moment. I've got to, i got to be more versatile. I got to have more moves available to me. And that's what I really heard and what you shared was tuning into that listening. Sometimes I call it taking the temperature of the room and really assessing, okay, where's everyone at? What's going on for my team right now? Oh, I'd had a conversation with her this morning and she's going through a breakup or this person just moved into a new apartment taking more into consideration, which brings it full circle back to the conversation we've been having around the body. We're not just looking at the physical experience that we're having here on like a very micro level where we're starting to take into consideration all the levels and all the layers that make us a human being in order to respond more fully and to be more fully engaged with life.
1: Like even going back to where we talked earlier about emotions and being able to feel what's inside and also, feel through empathy. That's the true juice to connectedness. Empathy is their gold. It's like, can I feel, can I meet this person at their level, regardless of what the hell's going on inside of myself? I'm stoked to be part of this community, man. It stokes my fire.
0: Yeah, man. And what a fortunate community we are to have you with us, man. You know, you just have so many, so many great insights to provide and so sort of valuable perspective. You know, I really, I really appreciate the way that you bring science and metaphysics together. You know, we didn't get into talking about too much of the spiritual side of things today, but I mean, even just as a guy, as as a former lacrosse player growing up in New Jersey, speaking about, you know, quantum physics in regards to (laughs) healing and and, and trauma, you're not the cookie cutter chiropractor, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) No, no way,
0: not at all. So much more than that, man. And it's really great to see you continuing to take things in. I think you're also just a fantastic example of a man who has lived much of your life. I would say you're around the midway point of your life and yet you just keep leaning in to learn and discover yeah. more. That perpetual beginner's mentality was just so crucial.
1: That's why I have a couple of t-shirts that have a phoenix logo on them.
0: <laughs> there you go, man. Thanks to Sean doing that. Yeah. Constantly rebirthing. Okay, man, beautiful. So, as we start to wrap up here, I got a few lightning round questions for you. You ready for those? Yes, sir. So what is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18?
1: <sighs> belly breathing and listening to my emotions. That's two, but belly breathing.
0: Got it. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man?
1: Integrity. Actions matching words. All
0: right. All right. And uh, this is a new question I'm going to throw out there today. So as a member of the Rise of Man community, what would you say to the men out there who have not yet stepped into the fire circles or Inferno or Compass, guys who are just listening to the podcast, hanging out in that realm of our community?
1: For the men who have not yet stepped into anything, I would say that you got to move forward into something embodied. This is way beyond intellectual work. This is stuff that needs to be done, felt, seen, smelled again, it's that felt sense is really what's going to allow your body to transform. You got to feel it beyond the thoughts. Awesome, man.
0: So man, last but not least, where can everybody come find you, get to work with you, follow you, hit us with the links, socials, everything.
1: Yeah. Best place for me, I'm most active on Instagram now at Dr. Brian Paris. It's D-R-B-R-I-A-N-P-A-R-I-S. That's where I'm putting out all all my best stuff.
0: Awesome, man. Well, appreciate having you on here today, man, for the first time. Definitely look forward to catching up with you again and having another conversation in the near future. For sure. Thank you, man. Thank you for just being such a loyal and committed member of this community and just a man who is is really championing the message and and also taking it in and making it your own in your way, which is my most favorite thing to witness and see. So I love having you here, bro. Thank you for having me. And I'm
1: humbled, grateful. and Thank you for your leadership and, and your tireless efforts to really impact humanity, man. So you're a beautiful soul. I'm I'm so excited to just be in your life and to have done what I've done so far and what's what the future holds. So thank you. Thank
0: you, brother. Likewise. All right, everybody, make sure you swing over to risingman.org to get information relative to this episode and every episode of the podcast. And while you're there, sign yourself up for 12 weeks of Ignite. You're not going to regret it. I guarantee it. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Give us a follow on Instagram at Rising Man Movement. Give us a tag with the podcast episode. Let us know that you're listening. Big ups to you. Big ups to the Rising Man power team, leadership team, and the whole Rising Man community out there. Man, we are so deep now, just three years into this thing. I'm so excited to keep meeting more of you guys and having more and more support from the community out there. This is really our movement. This is not Jetty Azuma anymore. This is men all over the world, and it's beautiful to see, men and women. So lots of love to everybody out there. Thanks for doing what you do. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.